Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. So today I want to talk about what it means to allow the gospel to enable our lives to really make a difference. So we're in this series called Vision 2020, Deep into Broaden. And in this series, we have been talking about the four priorities that we feel God has given us for this year. Now, if you're new, uh, I just want to clarify that our vision and mission are not changing. They have not changed since the inception of the church. Our mission is to gather people to Jesus Christ and lead them to biblical maturity for the multiplication of believers, leaders, and churches, that we want to gather them not just to our church. We don't want to gather them to ourselves. Don't want to gather them to a book. We're gathering them to the only one able to change them, and that's Jesus. We're gathering people to Jesus. And when we gather them to Jesus, we don't want them just to stay there. We want them to journey. That's to be led to biblical maturity, right? And why? So we can just be mature for maturity's sake? No, no, no. It's so that we can be multiplied, that the life of Christ can be multiplied. Now, the way that we see that happening is that when that mission is in operation, our vision will come to pass, which is manifesting Christ in many ways to many people. You'll see that at the top of your message card. But what we begin to do is ask God for this year, okay, Lord, in light of what you've asked us as a community to be, what should be the emphasis? What should be the points of priority? And so we've taken these four weeks in January to hit each of those. Week number one, I talked about deepening the spiritual life of seeking believers. How do we deepen the spiritual life of those that are seeking for more? Last week, Pastor Chad talked about deepening our relational impact, okay? Or our relational networking or influence, so to speak, of Latinos. You say Latinos against others? No, it's because God has opened the door for Latinos to be a part of our congregation. And we are surrounded by so many Latinos that are deeply, deeply unreached, okay? For the gospel, don't have a local church family. And it's a priority of ours. And today I want to preach a message on point number three, and that's broadening our intentional influence with young adults. Broadening our intentional influence with young adults. Now when I say that, if you're not a young adult in the room, don't check out, all right? Because of two reasons. Number one, I'm not saying that we have to be young adults to reach young adults. That's number one. Number two, most of what I communicate today probably has more to do with us older than young adults and the habits the hang-ups, and the, the issues that we have that are very wrong, okay, that we need to ultimately get rid of to see the change God wants to bring in our lives. So I want to talk today about how you change your life. Now, all of us in here need some change, right? How many of you would say you need some change, okay? You need some change in relationships. You need some change for the better. How many single people in here, you need to meet your spouse this year, okay? No more years shall pass. Oh, yeah, we got one, unashamedly. That's what I'm talking about. We got two. We got three. That's what I'm talking about. It took about 15 minutes to get that in the first gathering, right? So, so you need to meet your spouse this year. Well, the reality is that no one can change your life for you. No one can do that. No one has the capacity to make the decisions for you. God has given you volition. He's given you will. He's given you a choice, right? That's what love necessitates. It necessitates free will. And God has created you that way. To choose Him, to choose this, to choose that. You have the freedom of choice. 
And the true change in our life, sustaining change, is only the answer lies within a relationship with Jesus Christ. But not just coming to know Him. It lies within your understanding of the Word of God and then being able to rightly apply the Word of God to your life. Last year, think about this, Americans spent $7.6 million teaching financial literacy to anybody for free who wanted to take it. $7.6 million. Well, they thought if people get the information, they're going to change. So after the class, they did a research and they did follow-up. And in that follow-up, they found out everyone who took the class remembered some portion of the teaching. So they had some kind of recollection of what they heard. But, and so they thought, well, the information is going to change people's lives. The only problem was that when they followed up, less than 10% actually applied the information they learned. We know as educators today that the lowest level of, le- of learning is lecture-level learning. It's changing the dynamic in the face of education, right? Less than 5% of Americans learn best now by listening. It's going to have to change the way we do the church. It's going to have to be changed the means and ways that we do education. That's why we always say you need to be in a connect group. You can listen to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. But if the stats are true, less than 5% of you are able to really recollect the information and to, enough to bring it to a place of application. That's highly discouraging for a guy who spends 10, 15, 20 hours a week studying and putting together words that we are believing God to breathe on to change lives, right? I mean, that's, that's a challenging situation in our nation, in our Western world, okay? And it's not that way in other parts of the world. And I go to Asia, they want you to preach from like 6 a.m. until midnight. They don't want bathroom breaks. They don't want food breaks. They don't want to move, okay? They want to sit there and listen to the Word of God. Um, but, but it's different. That's the culture that you and I live in. And, and so when you think about less than 10% applied it, they came back six months later. Guess how many had actually still applied those principles? 0.0001% had still been applying the financial issues or lessons that they had learned, which tells us that information does not change our lives. Application changes our lives. It's not information, okay? It's not just information. If we were just about information, we would be a school. We're not. The Word of God is learned through teaching, but it's lived through fellowship. So it's not just about learning more, it's about living more, it's about applying more, which happens in relationships. The wisdom that comes from God is wisdom that can only come from the heart, which means it has to be interacted with. It means I cannot get it just by studying a book. I have to interact with human beings. Others made in the image of Almighty God. So it's not enough just to know the Word, it's not enough just to study the Word. You actually have to apply the Word in your life. You have to experience the Word of God. And here's the truth. When you get born again, the born again experience, folks, gives us limitless potential. I was thinking about last night and my creative juices were flowing, right? I was thinking about how much potential is in each of our lives when we get born again. The creator God who lives in us, who has a rule and a reign and has a desire and intent, we become the very vessels whereby God's dreams get expressed in the earth. God has a dream. God has a dream for our city. God has a dream for this nation. God has a dream for the nations of the earth. And when you become born again, you are born again with limitless potential. I mean potential that is off the charts. But it does no good if we remain in a potential state of life. We must move to a kinetic state of life. We must apply what we are hearing. When I was born again, I was born again with possibilities. In fact, our lives are a lot like these balloons behind me. These balloons are filled with helium. After gathering, we can pop them and suck down the helium and talk really weird, right? Get a high-pitched voice, right? I'm still a kid at heart. No one's ever done that before besides the preacher. Okay, yeah, okay, cool. Good, good admission right there. So our, our, our lives are like these balloons. 
right? We're often tied down to weights that are holding us down. We're meant to soar. Ephesians 2.10, we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He already prepared them. When I start doing them, I'll soar. I'll live on a whole new playing field, a whole new level and plane of life. But these weights hold us down from our potential that God has given us in the new birth. There were three guys in Matthew chapter 25 that were given gifts. The master came to these three guys and he gave them all different measures of the gift. In fact, we all as believers, we all as people, have been given a gift. We live in 2020. God has given us 2020 as a gift. He's given a gift to you. He's given potential to you. He's given insight to you. And it's amazing that what we do with that potential, what we do with that gift is our gift back to God in the world. So God gives us, through the new birth, limitless potential, limitless possibility. And what we do with that possibility, what we do with that potential, is our gift to God and our gift back to the world. You say, Craig, what weights are holding me back? you got to ask that question. What weights are keeping me bound? Each of these guys in Matthew 25 get three different gifts. The first one gets five talents. The second one gets two talents. The third one gets one talent. The first guy, the master, leaves, and the guy with five talents, he takes it and multiplies and maximizes his gifts. The master comes back, and he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You took what I gave you, five, and you made it ten. You multiplied it. You used the potential I gave you. Second guy gets two talents. He takes the two talents, he invests them. He he does what he's supposed to do with them. He makes the most of the opportunities that he had, most of his potential. He comes back, the master says, How many do you have? He said, I got four. Well done, good and faithful servant. Then you got one guy who gets one. And he says, oh, I'm afraid to fail. I'm afraid to step out there into the potential God's given me. I'm afraid of investing the little that I do have. I'm just going to take it and keep it safe. I'm going to bury it. And he comes back to the house and the master said, where's the talent? And he said, oh, look, look, I kept it for you safe and sound. You know what the master says to him? Jesus here. He says, you wicked and you lazy servant. A.K.A. Jesus says when he regenerates us, makes us new. He does not expect to see us face-to-face with the same potential that he gave us when he made us born again. He calls that a wicked and a lazy servant. You did not invest what I gave you. You did nothing with the potential I gave you. That's why the wealthiest place in the world is the graveyard. The wealthiest place in our nation is in the graveyard because in that graveyard are buried ideas. In that graveyard are buried books that were never written. In that graveyard, do you know how many churches have not been planted because of people's fear? How many ch- planted churches went down in the ground with one vessel who would not step out in obedience? You know how many missionaries didn't go overseas because of fear? Whatever it is, a lack of putting forth the effort to have the potential be realized. In there are dreams and businesses that were never started. In there are ideas that were never began. I wonder... I wonder what weights are holding you back. What you're tied to. In 1982, there was a guy named Larry Walters. I've told you about his story before. Larry Walters is a fascinating guy. He said, I was born to soar. I was not born to sit around all day. I was born to fly. And so what he did is he went down to his Army surplus store and he bought 42 balloons. Big ones. Real big balloons. He took his 42 balloons, he took a pellet gun, and he went home, and he tied the 42 balloons to his lawn chair in the backyard. LAX. He lived right next to LAX. He tied them down to his, his lawn chair. He then tied his lawn chair to a Jeep, and he sat down, got a pack, a six-pack of Miller Lite, started drinking some beer, and he packed his backpack full of sandwiches. So here he is sitting with sandwiches in his backpack, a Miller Lite in his, in his lap. He's got 42 balloons to his lawn chair, 
and he calls up his girlfriend and his friends and says, I was, I was meant to fly. I was meant to soar. I'm not meant to sit here. And so he says, come over and cut this cord. His girlfriend comes over. He says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to float up to 100 feet. When I get to 100 feet, I'm going to have the best view in Los Angeles. I'm going to sit there, drink beer, and eat my sandwiches, okay? And he said, when it comes time, I'm going to take my pellet gun, and I'm going to shoot each balloon gradually, and I'm going to slowly descend back to the earth. It's a true story, folks. It's called Lawn Chair Larry. They made a movie about it, if you remember, several years ago. You, you ever saw the movie Up? I'm convinced they, they ripped that idea off of Lawn Chair Larry, okay? He ought to get some... Uh, some kind of investment from that or some kind of kickback. But he, he, he goes, they cut the rope, and he doesn't go up to, to 100 feet. He keeps going. And he doesn't go up to 2,000 feet, he keeps going. He doesn't go up to 5,000 feet, he keeps going. He goes up past 10,000 feet. He gets at 16,000 feet. He's three miles off the planet. And here he is sitting in his lawn chair, drinking a six-pack, and he's eating sandwiches, Okay. And the people are thinking, what in the world? So when I say you're born to fly, I'm not talking about a six-pack of Miller Lite sitting in a chair with 42 balloons. That's not what I'm talking about. You said, did Larry die? In fact, he didn't die. Okay, He was so afraid to shoot the balloons. He said, I couldn't do it. And so he's getting higher and higher. And, and uh, he said, well, I'm just going to drink my beer and eat my sandwiches. So he starts, he starts hammering these sandwiches. Well, the pilots were flying over. He got into the airspace as they were trying to land at LAX. And so every one of these pilots started radioing in to the radio tower. You will not believe what we see. You will not believe it. There is a guy... He is sitting in a lawn chair being held up by balloons and he's drinking beer and eating sandwiches. Okay? Pilot after pilot. Well, finally, he works up the nerve to shoot the balloons. Okay? And he starts shooting them one at a time. He flies 22 miles across Los Angeles. He starts descending and he comes down and he gets caught in the telephone wires. LAPD shows up, surrounds the area, blocks it off, barricades it. They arrest him. They take him back to the station. When he gets back to the station, they asked him, they said, What were you thinking, Larry? And he said, A man can't sit at home with all of this potential. <laughs> so, so when I talk about potential, I'm not talking about flying 16,000 feet in the air. Okay, drinking beer, eating sandwiches. But I am saying, here's the point. Potential is just potential, and it's great, but until you do something about the potential, nothing ever changes. Potential never comes to fruition if we just sit on that potential. When I was 17 years old, y'all, I'd known the Lord about a year and a half, and uh, I was at church one day, and um, did you ever grow up being one of those people that uh, everybody else got a prophetic word around you, but you didn't? And so when you were in line up here at the end of the altar service and the guy would come, he'd give a prophetic word, he'd skip you, go to the next person. So you got out of line and went back down here on the line, hoping he'd get you second time. And then if he skipped you again, you get third doses. And, you know, I was that guy. I was that guy. I never got called out, never got prophetic words that way. God never spoke to me. But this guy came to our church. He was preaching. And he stopped the service and said, you in the Duke hoodie. I was wearing a Duke hoodie. And I remember. And uh, he said, you come forward. He said, you got a calling on your life. And I'm <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I'm not, not just, yeah, I got to call him. <laughs> it's like as soon as he called me, you know, my palms are sweaty. My heart's beating. And so I come forward and he says, you got a calling on your life. You're going, to, you're going to preach the gospel. You're called to pastor people. And then he said this. He said, I'll never forget. He said, you will be a winner of many souls. And then he said, you got a gift to, to write. You got a gift to communicate. And I thought, woo! Awesome! 17 turning 18, y'all know what happened the next day? Nothing. You know what happened the next month? Nothing. 
You know what happened the month after that? Nothing. Some of us in this room, we are craving prophetic words, but we won't do the prophetic work to see the prophetic words come to pass. And if God knows we're not going to do the prophetic work that it takes to see the prophetic words come to pass, then we are crazy to think that we're going to get the prophetic word. Prophetic words do nothing for anybody other than clarify the future. But until you do the prophetic work or the application to cause the prophetic word to come to pass, it will never come to pass in your life. It's a lot like potential. When I was a college pastor, I would pray for hundreds of young women, hundreds of young men. I would go and pray with a young lady who's single, and he'd say, hey, would you pray for me, Pastor Craig? Yeah, I will. Hey, would you pray for my boyfriend? Why? Why do you want me to pray for your boyfriend? What? He's just really struggling right now. He's got a lot of addictions. He's cheated on me 26 times. But Pastor Craig, he has so much potential. So much potential. Well, listen, I don't give a flip about potential in the dating relationship, okay? There's no such thing as missionary dating. Here's the thing with potential. It hasn't happened yet. It's not happened. You see nothing. There's no fruit of it. And if we as believers live in the land of potential, always dreaming about the the, the by and by and the future and the, the land of potential, dreaming about possibilities, we will never act on it. It's not information that changes our life. It's application that changes our life. It's the prophetic work that changes our lives. So you know what happened the next month? The next month I started ferociously eating scripture. Where I knew no scripture, I started eating and I mean just feeding and meditating and chewing and regurgitating and chewing again and regurgitating and chewing again and meditating on scripture. I started in classes and Bible classes. I started studying theology. I started using my preaching gift. I'd get up and preach three minutes for a testimony in youth service. Then I'd preach five minutes the next time and then I'd give the opportunity to do the offering and then I'd get the opportunity to preach on a Wednesday night. And, And you know what began to happen? When I started doing the prophetic work, the prophetic word he spoke started coming to pass slowly in my life. If you're going to fulfill the potential that God has for your life, you're going to have to put some action into it. James 2 and 17 says, faith without works is? Come on, faith without works is? It's dead. You've got to put some activity to it. You've got to put action to it. If we're going to see some change, we've got to put action behind the principles of God's word. So if you've got a Bible, go with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to look at a very fascinating character today. His name is Naaman. His name is Naaman. Now, Naaman was held back by a single issue in his life. The prophetic word was longing for prophetic action from his life. It was longing for work to come to pass. Spoiler alert, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Naaman has leprosy. He's going to get healed. He's going to receive his healing. He's going to get set free. His life is about to change. And when we get to the end of today, it's going to be a different Naaman than we see at the beginning of the text. Okay? We're going to see a totally different person. But listen... It didn't happen miraculously or magically. It happened when he was willing to to put in the work, to do the word. My question today is, I wonder what's holding you back. What's holding you back? Look at the first verse, 2 Kings chapter 5. Notice what the text says. It says, Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. That's a key phrase. Because though him, or through him I should say, the Lord had given victory to Aram... He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Let's pause right there. Leave that up. He's a successful man. He's famous man. He's an impressive man. By the way, y'all, he is the number two man in the most powerful nation. Syria was stronger than Israel at this time. This is 722 B.C. King Solomon has died. David's son has died. The kingdom has now split. It went through civil war. He had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Southern kingdom is called Judah. 
Northern kingdom is called Israel. Israel will be overtaken by Assyrian captivity. Southern kingdom, Judah, will be taken by Babylonian captivity because of their stiff neck, their obstinance, their hard-heartedness. And here is the number two man, the most powerful man in Syria. Syria had gone into Israel and they were taking POWs. They were pulling prisoners of war. And now this king, who was highly regarded by his boss, he was number two in charge, highly regarded by his co-workers, his employees around him. And, and his name, Naaman actually means beautiful or delightful, appeasing to the eye. And if you look at that verse, it says he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. In other words, his outside didn't live up to his name. His outside didn't mirror what was going on supposedly on the inside. Unless you forget this, just because you're around successful people, you got to understand successful people may look successful, but they have their wounds too. And just because others that are around you that are prominent have a better job at hiding their wounds and hiding their leprosy and hiding their habits and hiding their hang-up doesn't mean they're not there. They have them just like you do as well. Maybe they, by their stage of life, have gotten better at hiding it than you can hide it. And, and, and the reality is all people have their wounds. But everybody has some kind of situation. Notice it said he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. I want to tell us today, everybody has a but. Some of y'all are like, that is revelation right there. That is, that, is, that is revelation. All of us have a but. Every one of us have a but in our lives. I am this, but we have potential, but I wonder what your but is. For Naaman, his but was leprosy. For Naaman, he was holding him down. For Naaman, he was a valiant soldier, but he was... On the outside, unlike what he was on the inside. I wonder what it is. For leprosy, by the way, was incurable. It had a death sentence. So when you got it, you had a due date. You knew you were going to die. Naaman knew he was going to die. If he did not get healed, he would die. By the way, you weren't born with it. It was an airborne disease caught. There's still ten nations. I was interested in this. I looked it up last night. still ten nations in the world that have active cases of leprosy. It's called the leprous colony. This ministry does amazing things. But leprosy was airborne. Here's the crazy thing. It had an incubation period of 20 years. So that means you could have it inside. Internally, it would attack before it externally manifested. So you could have it intubate, or incubated, not intubated, incubated for 20 years. You could have this leprosy in your body. And it developed over time. It started out as an internal disease, became an external disease. And when it surfaced, y'all, it wouldn't surface everywhere. It could surface in places that you could hide. And, and the Bible says that he was really good at hiding it. Why? Because he was highly regarded in his boss's eyes. And he was really, really good at hiding it from his co-workers because he was highly regarded by his co-workers. He was really good at hiding it from the church because he was a leader in the church. And he led a connect group. And in, in the church's eyes, he was really successful. And in the church's eyes, he had that habit and hang-up. But there's no way he could show what that habit and hang-up was. Why? Because he was respected. The kids wanted to be like him. DP Kids put his face on the, on the screen. They wanted to be like him. They wanted to aspire to him. They wanted to go after him. They wanted to look like him. And so someone, though, at home had seen it. Why? Someone at home had seen his vulnerable parts. Someone at home had seen his insecurities. I wonder what your butt is. I wonder how good you've got it covering it up. 
Like, I'm really successful, but I struggle with insecurity. I started my own business, but I feel like it's going to fail every day. I'm really a great writer, but I never feel good enough. I I think I'm a good mom, but I just sit here with so much shame and comparison and jealousy because other moms look like they got it more together than I got it. I'm really successful at work, but if I'm honest, I'm a really, really lousy dad at home that can't have patience with his kids. I'm really gifted with money, but I'm really, really terrible at friendships. What is the one thing that needs to change in your life? There are some areas you say, Pastor Craig, that need to change in my thoughts this year. That's why you have a domino. In light of who is God calling you to be, what one habit do you need to start in 2020? Don't try to tackle 20 habits. Don't try to get 15 habits. Don't try to get 5 habits. In light of what God's called you to do, what one habit? You want to make it obvious. You want to start small. You don't want to say, I'm going to read the whole Bible reading plan if you've never even read the Bible once. You need to start in one verse. You need to get the version app. You need to have one habit. And what you recognize is that when you get the one habit down, it becomes like a domino effect to begins to change your life to fulfill the potential God has for you. So what I want you to do is to take the domino. Where is it? Is it overeating? Put it next to the refrigerator. You see it every time. What is the one habit? If you, you, you constantly keep on reading Facebook and scrolling, scrolling, scrolling instead of opening, opening, opening and scrolling, scrolling, scrolling and not opening, opening, opening so you put it on your Bible. You put it next to your bedstand. You never go to sleep until the domino's knocked over. What one habit in light of who God has called you to be needs to change in 2020. See, I think many times we don't change because we try to tackle 20 habits at once. You can't do that. You can't tackle 20 habits at once. But if you'll focus that one thing and you'll put all your spiritual energy on that one thing, if you'll take all your spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible, praying, fasting, tithing, meditation, spending time in God's presence, if you'll take all those disciplines and focus them in on that one thing, God says when you get that leprosy gone, everything else in your life will begin to change. But for so many of us, we can't get rid of that one habit. That one habit that hinders so much of God's potential for our life. For Naaman, he had to stop and focus on the leprosy. It wasn't enough to just be number two man anymore. He had to get rid of the leprosy. He had to be healed of the leprosy. See, but the problem with Naaman is he got too comfortable with it. He stopped looking for a cure. I wonder if people in here, he had accepted it as his life. This is going to be a part of me. I wonder if some of us have accepted a diagnosis that God intends to heal. I wonder if some of us have listened to the lie from the pit of hell that said you'll always be this way because your dad was this way and your grandpa was this way. This habit will always be a habit for you. You'll never overcome it. It's a lie from the pit of hell. I wonder if some of us have gotten comfortable with complacency. I wonder if some of us have gotten comfortable with dysfunction in our families and we just kind of succumb to it and say, oh, it's always going to be. Verse 2, look what the scripture says. He's a powerful man. Now bands of raiders from Aram, modern day um, Iran, had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. Now I want you to see something. This girl is now a slave in his house. I never saw this before until I read this this week. I never thought of it anyways. She is, she is a slave, which means her parents have been killed by this country. And now she's in the home of a slave of a person who's killed her parents and she has every opportunity to never share with him the cure. Oh, he gets what he deserves. Let him die, that scab-filled heretic. But you know what she does? She has forgiven him so much that she's about to give to him and speak to him the cure for his own ailment. I never saw that before. Think about what kind of gospel understanding that takes from a young girl. And the Bible says, Naaman, here it's time, 
think about this. She is a young girl in a male-dominated society. She's low-ranking position, yet she doesn't allow her circumstances to control her courage. Rather, she allows her courage to control her circumstances, and she speaks to the powers at hand. She speaks to them. You say, Craig, what does she say? Look at verse 3. She declares to this, this king, she said to her mistress, if only my master, who? My master would see. If only Naaman would see the prophet who's in Samaria, there's a prophet in Israel, he would cure him of his leprosy. She said, if only Naaman could get to Elisha. My question is this, how did she know Naaman was sick? He had gotten so good at hiding it from his boss, from his co-workers. He could hide it from everyone on the outside, but he couldn't hide it from those in his house. Listen to me, dad. Listen to me, husband. Listen to me, wife. You can hide it at church. You can hide it at Connect Group. You can hide it for a long, long time. You can get really, really good in our disjointed 21st century independent culture. You can, you can hide it and dysfunction for a long, long time. You can keep it where nobody ever sees it. But when he comes home, she sees the blood and the skin and she sees the scabs. And at some point, somebody in your house is going to see the strips of skin. They're going to see the blood. They're going to see the pus. They're going to see the skin particles in your clothing at laundry time. She's seen and heard how he screams in pain to his wife next door when he's going through leprosy. She says, I know the one thing that can cure him. I know the one thing that can change him. Listen to me. Listen to me, dads. Listen to me, moms. What you accomplish for God beyond your home will typically never be greater than what you practice within your home. What you accomplish for God out there will typically never be greater than what you accomplish for God within your own house. So she says, I know the path towards healing. I know what it is, Naaman. It won't be easy. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. By the way, real quick, let me tell you three things about obedience. She says to Naaman, I'm going to tell you how you can be healed, but you're going to have to obey. Here's three things about obedience in God's kingdom. Obedience is never easy. It is never comfortable. And it is never a one-time act. Obedience is never easy. It's never comfortable. And it's never a one-time act. It's about repetition. It's about being repeated micro habits over and over. It's never easy. See, some of us, some of us, we're craving the supernatural. We want to see God do the magnanimous work and God's just asking us to do small, simple acts of obedience. He's just asking us to have patience with our kids. We're believing God to raise the dead and we can't, we can't go three weeks without blowing up on our kids. See, he wants simple, small acts of obedience before us. Read your Bible. Well, Craig, I want to preach the Word, but I can't even read the Bible every day. I can't get along with God every day. The small, simple act of obedience. Is it easy? No, it's never easy. I remember talking to one guy. I was praying for him in the altar, and I came down here, and I remember talking to him, and he said, Pastor Craig, I want to see the dead raised. I want to see the blind eyes open. I want to see the deaf ears open. And when he said that, I saw his wife kind of at a distance. And she's kind of standing, and I started thinking. I was looking at him, trying to listen, but watching her, and I was thinking, this guy wants to see the miraculous, but I wonder what leprosy this wife sees at home. I wonder what strips of skin she's going to have to keep, she keeps pulling out, because she's just kind of looking. You're talking about raising the dead, but you won't even be obedient in the small steps, like being patient with your kids, loving faithfully your spouse. Listen, y'all. You can be a public success and a private failure. By the way, that is what I call misery. That's my definition of misery. To be successful publicly and to be a failure privately. Oh my God, it's the worst way to live. You are crumbling internally and everybody externally thinks you're doing well. How sucky is that position? 
How bad is that position? That's misery. To be having all kinds of success outside and yet inwardly be failing. You can be successful in your company, but when you come home, your kids are going to see your blood and your kids are going to see, they're not impressed by your activity at church. They're totally unimpressed with your ability to quote the phases of spiritual development from growth phases. They're totally unimpressed with your ability to quote every verse that fills every phase if you don't treat their mama correctly or you don't treat them with the right words. They're totally unimpressed. And they're going to see your scabs and they're going to see your skin particles and they're going to see the pieces of you that nobody else sees. So what does she do? She speaks up. She speaks to the powers at hand. This, this, this is what we would call prophetic speech. I mean, this is the Spirit of God resting on this slave girl. And, and she speaks. You say, Craig, what does she speak? She's casting a vision. There's a man in Samaria that can heal you. If you only knew the potential God had for you, Naaman. If you only knew, God's saying to you today, if you only knew the potential God has for your life, you have no idea who and what God wants you to become in his plan. God did not intend for you to be held back by these weights. Jesus did not die on a cross so you and I could fake being okay. Jesus did not die on a cross so that you and I can act like we got it all together. He died on a cross that we might receive the potential of the born-again experience and lay our lives down to allow His Spirit to work through us. My question is, can you take advice from somebody beneath you? Can you take advice from somebody beneath you? Can you take correction from someone younger than you? Can you do that? Here, Naaman is stronger than her. He's more experienced than her. He's more powerful than her. He has more knowledge than her. And yet God is speaking truth to him. And what we find out is that Naaman listened. Listen, man, listen to me. One of the strongest things that you can do, men, is listen to the people that are beneath you. Listen to the people that God has surrounded you. Listen to your wife who has more discernment than you do. Listen, listen, listen. They're not there to cut your head off. They're there to protect you. They're there because they love you. They love your blood. They're wanting to speak truth to you. You have to stop and listen. And what she's doing is casting faith for Naaman. She's saying, Naaman, this is a future for you. You don't have to live bound up. You don't have to stay addicted. I'm saying, I'm talking to somebody. You don't have to stay depressed in 2020. You don't have to you can choose to but you don't have to you don't have to stay oppressed you don't have to stay afflicted you can be healed you can be free naming you can be set free you can be delivered i'm speaking to someone you can get your marriage back in 2020 you can be restored in 2020 you can get your kids back in 2020 you can get delivered from that habit that has been there for the last 15 years in 2020 you can be delivered from whatever sin and its consequences you can be healed of that sickness the question is do you believe it See, it's one thing to listen to it. It's another thing to believe it. You know how we know that Naaman didn't just listen, but he believed it? Because the very next verse, he immediately put action to what he believed. Listen to me. A real vision leads to real action. I know what you believe about what God has called you to do tomorrow by how you steward today. So if I see you not stewarding today well, I know you don't believe God's called you to do anything tomorrow. But when you steward today well, you believe God's called me to do something tomorrow. There's potential that has to be realized. So our steward today is a gift. What does Naaman do? He hears the vision. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. What are you doing every Sunday? You're hearing the Word of God. What are you doing when you get in your Bible? You're hearing, speaking, learning the Word of God. My question is not, are you hearing it? My question is, what are you doing with the vision? What are you doing? Are you applying it? Are you taking the Word of God and applying it to your life? Information doesn't change you. Application leads to the change that you need in your life. And so once Naaman hears it, he goes immediately to his boss. And he says, okay, I can't hide it anymore. So he goes to his boss. Look at verse 4. 
I told you obedience is never easy, right? It's not easy. We're going to have to obey the vision of faith that God is casting for us. God doesn't want us just to dream about healing. He doesn't want us to dream about change. He wants us to have a real revelation. Three things about obedience. It's never easy. It's never comfortable. It's never a one-time action. It requires repetitive acts of obedience. We don't have a life change just from a single breakthrough. You know, we're spirit-filled people. You know what that means? We believe in the power of the Spirit. We believe Jesus is a spirit baptizer who wants to empower us for his witness. But let me tell you something. We also believe that lives can be altered at the altar. I want a spelling bee this week. You know what they, they asked me? The third question, altar. I thought, you don't even know who you're talking to. I'm a, I'm a pastor who lives down there. Of course, I know how to spell it. And I think Mary back there was saying A-L-T-E-R. I'm like, no, it ain't A-L-T-E-R. That's like altar and change. I'm talking about like the altar, you know, place where things go to die. A-L-T-A-R, altar. That is correct, Mr. Moscarov, right? But, but we believe that the altar is a place where things can be altered, E. They can be changed. But listen to me. You never get real change by one breakthrough. Ever. Ever. Study the people who win the lottery. When they win the lottery, what happens? They get a temporary circumstance change, and they love it, boy. Right? They win the lottery, but if you ever research those people, guess what happens years later? They have not changed one iota. You do not change because you don't have the character to sustain it with a breakthrough. So God knows that. So that's why he has to put you through what you're through. He knows it. He loves you too much to get away with it. He loves you too much to get away with a magic wand and all of a sudden being anointed. No, he's going to put you through an olive press and rip you to shreds. Why? Because he binds up and he heals. He afflicts and he brings strength. That's what the the prophet said. I know we don't like it. I don't like it either. But that's the way of God. That's the way of the kingdom. That's what happens. So what happens is Naaman, he's wanting a one-time breakthrough, but the reality comes when, no, no, no. It's not a one-time breakthrough. It's, it's micro-habits. It's spiritual micro-habits. I did the math for you last night. Let me tell you something about compounding interest. If I came to you right now and said, would you want $1 million in your bank account? Right now, you can get it. Or, I can give you one penny today, and it'll double every day for the next 30 days. Most people in our culture, because of a lack of investment, and we live for the moment, we would stop investing We would want just the million dollars in our account today. But you know what that one penny becomes in 30 days? If it's doubled every day, it becomes $5,690-something thousand dollars. In 30 days, one penny doubled. You get $6 million or do you want $1 million? Well, we would rather take $1 million. Why? Because we don't understand that true change, true life. When did did it start getting all the money? When When did all the money start piling up? Was it the beginning of making the habit? No, no, no. It's at the very end. And that's exactly what happens in our spiritual life. You will do habit after habit and you'll think, man, it's not changing. Nothing's changing. Nothing's changing in my life. And then you get to a place where that micro habit is built into your life. And what begins to take place? All overwhelming types of change. You know what that should tell us by the principle of compound interest? We're using compound interest to preach this morning. You know what it should tell us? It should tell us very clearly. You need to know whatever you want to be in the future, you need to start now and you need to start small. Now and small. Now and make it obvious. That's the secret of fulfilling the potential in our lives. So what Naaman does is he acts on the word. Everybody say act. First step of obedience is to act. Dr. Sol, uh, Cho, he, he planted a church in, uh, in Seoul, Seoul, South Korea, right? And uh, I think it's the largest church in the world, up to a million people at one time. I think they had 100,000 small group leaders at one time. 
They have something called Prayer Mountain, and here's his recipe for success. Now, he about killed himself planting the church. He did. He's literally on death's door, but, but this is his plan for success. Okay, he won't tell that part of the story. His plan for success was this, okay? His plan was, I pray and I obey. 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 Tomorrow, I pray and I obey. Tomorrow, I pray and I obey. And you do that over a lifetime. See, sometimes we live our Christian lives with a struggle like, like I have to obey, Right? Obedience is never easy, but if I'll keep on obeying longer and longer, the more I obey, the more I'll fall in love with Jesus, and then it won't be a to-do list anymore. I obey out of a place of love instead of a place of grudge. I obey out of a place of love rather than a place of hatefulness. I have to go to church. I have to tithe. I have to read my Bible. I have to love them. I have to forgive. No, Naaman goes to the king and he says, Listen, king, don't be alarmed. It's just a freckle, y'all. I've not gotten any tattoos. And he starts pulling it up. And he says, King, you know I've been trying to impress you for the last 15 years. You see me as a successful man. I'm highly regarded, but I need to show you something. He lifted up his shirt and he said, I, I got to get vulnerable. I've been hiding this from you. And, and this little prophet told me that if I would get vulnerable and go to Israel, I'd have my habit, my, my hang-up healed. I need a change in my life. For some of you, listen to me carefully. The change in your life will only happen when you get vulnerable in front of the very person you're trying to impress right now. It's walking up in front of the person that you love their approval and getting vulnerable and saying, I've been hiding, but let me show you what's actually, what's actually here. That's why we do altar calls at this church. As long as I'm the pastor, we're going to continue to do altar calls. Why? Because the altar is a place of vulnerability. You want real change? Vulnerability is the avenue to change. You cannot change until you get vulnerable. You think you can sit in your ego and change? Good luck. That'd be fun, right? And people do this. Christianity doesn't work for me. I go to church. It doesn't work. It's because you're not doing it his way. It only works his way. If I sit in my ego, edging God out, how would I ever change? If I want to hold on to my pride, how would I ever change? I have to be willing to be vulnerable in front of the very people I'm trying to impress. And you can't change until you let go of your pride. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. I'm super. I'm blessed and highly favored. I have no stress. I have no issues. You want me to lay hands on you and pray for you today? I'm like, okay, that's fine for you. But us normal people, we got issues, okay? DP is a place for perfect people too, okay? We gather all people to Jesus Christ. So perfect people, you can go to Jesus too, okay? Come on, come on. I mean, but, but for the most of us, we got habits, hang-ups, and issues. It wasn't until Naaman said, hey, I'm going to get honest and vulnerable. Then the change began. He finally felt released to go to rehab. He finally felt released to get help he needed. He finally felt released to get rid of the rage that was eating his organs alive, the anger that was unprocessed. So the king said, okay, it's time to go. Go on with your bad self, Naaman. But he said, Naaman, before you do, I know the king of Israel, so here I'm going to do. I'm going to write him a little letter. I'm going to write you a letter, take it to the king, and then you go from there. So he left, he took 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and, and 10 sets of clothing. So he goes to Israel. It took him a week to get there, by the way. He gets to Israel. He shows up to the king of Israel. Who is this? The second most powerful man in the country of Syria. Look what happens in verse 6. He shows up at the king's house, and he says to the king, hey, here's the letter, the letter he took. It said, with this letter, I'm sending my servant name to you that you would cure him of leprosy. You know what the king does? Gets ticked. King rips off his clothes. The king of Israel rips off, said, hey, am I God? Can I 
Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow, why do you, the king of Syria, send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? This dude's trying to pick a quarrel with me. He, he's, trying to, he's trying to cause an issue. But there was a man that was around the king. His name was Elisha. And he was around the kingdom and he heard, look at the next verse. He heard the man of God, heard what the king said to Naaman. And he said, he sent him a message and he said, Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. In other words, you know what Elisha said? He said, in other words, king, king of Israel, you don't have to figure this out. The power of God will do what you cannot do. This man's not been sent for you for you to have your human ingenuity to try to get him better. Listen, God has a cure for what he is facing today. Some of us in this room, we've gone to every other remedy. We've gone to every other counseling. We've gone to every other person. We've gone to every other individual in our life, but we won't go to God. We won't go to the one who says, I have a cure for your habit. I have a cure for your hang-up, but you got to do what I ask you to do. You have to be obedient to the word I give you. God, I'm telling you, has a cure for the habit you're trying to break. I'm telling you, God has freedom for whatever issue you're facing today. So look what happens, verse 9. Elisha said this, and, and Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha. Y'all, you see the entourage? Second most powerful man on the planet. He's showing up with an entourage. He's traveled for a week. Here's Elisha inside the house. I love Elisha. He is so gangster, y'all. He is gangster times 10. Look what he does. He's at the door, 20 feet away from the man. And look what the Bible says in verse 10. Elisha sent a text message to him. He walks in the back bedroom, won't even go open the door, sends a text, sent a messenger, but it's a text message, right? Uh, Elisha was such a millennial, okay? He was a young adult. I am a young adult too. And he texted him and he said, look what he said. He said to the messenger, hey, hey, go meet him at the door and tell him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Now imagine, Naaman shows up, whole entourage. Elisha does not go to the door, sends a text message. Naaman is furious. I traveled all this way and the prophet won't even meet me at his door. But you know know what's happening? Elisha wanted to test the king. He wanted to test the man. God was testing the man. He wanted Naaman to know, I'm not the one who's going to heal you. Don't you get get it out of whack. Don't you think you're coming a week's way for me to touch you. No, this is God's work and this is God's prophetic word. And God's the one that's going to heal you. I can't fix your problems. God will fix your problems. Some of us... We're expecting everybody else to fix our problems. You're waiting on T.D. Jakes to show up at your door. Lay hands on your kids. You're waiting for Pastor Craig to counsel you through every issue in your mind. You're waiting for Pastor Chad to show up, touch you, wave a wand. And no, no, he says, Elisha says to Naaman, this is between you and God. That's it. We keep waiting for someone else to fix our problems and God's saying I want you to go back to your Bible and do what I already told you to do in the word you don't need anybody else to tell you to do it you don't need anybody else to explain the scripture to you you need to go to your Bible and you need to do what the word of God says to do don't ask for another word if you're not doing the word that's already there that's what he says go back and do what God's asking for you and he goes on in verse 11 and look what happens Naaman's ticked he went away angry and he said I thought everybody say I thought Come on, he said, I thought he would surely come out. I thought, I thought, I thought. I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord and wave his magic wand over the spot of my skin. Y'all, Naaman was like a modern-day Pentecostal. I'm telling you, this dude, the more I read this passage, this dude, was, he was chasing every revival possible so that somebody would wave pixie dust on him in the altar, right? I mean, he's chasing to and fro. I thought, I thought. Today I need a Naaman. I've got a good-looking Naaman over here. Y'all put your hands together for Naaman Calvert. 
Okay? So this is going to be my naming today. Now watch this. Watch this. He's at the door. He's ticked. He turns. Remember, Elisha's back here, you know, fasting. I don't know. Hanging out in the back bedroom. Raising people from the dead. I don't know. Use, I don't know what he's doing. But, but he sends a text message. Naaman's ticked. He don't want that word. He wants to at least talk to the man face to face. Come on, show some honor here. And he's mad and he goes away totally upset. Totally upset. And the first phrase he said is, I thought. Everybody say, I thought. The problem with many of us is we're stuck in our own thoughts. We're stuck in our own I thoughts. The two words that will block us from every potential that God has for our life. I thought I'd be married by now. I thought I'd be cured of this addiction by now. I thought we'd have children by now. I thought my company would be growing larger than this. I thought my ministry would take off by now. I thought our kids would do this. I thought my bank would, would, would show up one day and have more money in the bank. I thought that this person would show love back to me. I thought, but the problem is our thoughts get in the way of God's thoughts. And he said, as high as, my, as the heavens are above the earth, so my thoughts are above yours for my thoughts are not like your thoughts my ways are not like your ways in other words God says you're going to have to get out of your own mind the I thoughts got to die it's not about what I thought if you want to fulfill your potential the thoughts are going to have to go I want you to go home today and do something beneath you. Do something that is uncomfortable to you. Do something that is, 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 is humiliating even to you do something that goes against the I thoughts listen What if the miracle you're waiting for is actually wrapped in muddy waters? What if the miracle you're waiting for and the change you want actually required you to go down to the altar, but you're a connect group leader in this church? What if the change you need actually required you to get vulnerable, but everybody highly regards you? What if the change that was... Required of you, required you to go to growth phases and finish what you started, but you're unwilling to, to finish. Vulnerability. What if the thing God was asking you to do was to dip yourself in muddy waters? Here's what Naaman said. He said, I thought God was going to wave his magic wand over me. But that's not what the word of God said. Look at verse 12, and we're going to jump in the Jordan River. Are not, look what he says, look what he says. He's ticked, so he says, Are not Arabah and Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off and went off in a rage. He went off in a rage. I found that most people go off because they won't go in. They go off because they won't obey. And then they blame it on everybody else. Oh, I could have just stayed home in my own waters. I didn't. God, if I, I want healing and I want it on my terms. I don't want to do what the Word of God tells me to do. I want it on my... Muddy water? I got good water back in Israel. I know how to deal with my hang-ups. I can take care of my addictions. Of course I can. I can do it. That's not what the Word of God said. So you know what? Thank God he had a friend. How many of y'all need a friend when you're hard-headed? And this friend comes up to him, and this friend... I call it the sandwich approach. This friend puts encouragement on both sides, like a piece of, uh, you know, some buns. I'm talking about butts and buns today. This is awesome. Okay? Yeah, butts and buns. So I should have named this title, Butts and Buns. So he, he covers him with, with encouragement, and it's what he said. He said, hey, Naaman, if this man would have told you to go do some great thing, would you not have done it? Oh, Pastor Greg, <laughs> if somebody had told me to be a missionary to Africa, I'd already be on the plane. But getting down in muddy waters... Beyond that, outgrown that. Right? Right? 
Oh, I want the supernatural. Woo! Let the word of God come from my lips. Getting in muddy waters, that's humiliating. I ain't doing it. So the next verse, here he is going to the muddy waters. He gets mad. He gets upset. And so notice, we got the waters today called the baptistry. So Mr. Naaman Calvert, we're going we're gonna to hop in the river. We're going to hop in the river. How do you change your life, Pastor Craig? You focus on the little things. You take the micro habits. God is less focused on changing your circumstances and more focused on changing you. So he wants to change you. He wants to change you. Naaman, watch this. Naaman, thank you, brother. Naaman, it got cold this gathering? It was warm last gathering. It's all right. Jordan River was cold. I've been in it. So Naaman, Naaman, watch this. He wanted the outside to be fixed, but God wanted his pride gone. That's what God wanted gone. He wanted his skin to be healed, but God wanted his heart to be changed. So he gave him a word through a servant girl, and he told him to go do something that seemed totally pointless. Dip seven times. God was trying to bring life in, so he goes down to the Jordan River. The Bible says in verse 14, he dipped himself seven times. Who dipped himself? Who dipped? Or who dipped Naaman? He did. Did Elisha? Preacher? Connect group leader? Growth face teacher? No, no. No one but he did. He made the decision to dip himself. God, you going to wave your hand? Nope, you're going to have to dip yourself. So he got into the muddy waters. How many times did he dip? Seven. Seven's the number of miracles, number of completion. But here, it's the number of repetitive action in Scripture. It won't come by one time. It's going to be by seven times. What are you willing to repeat in 2020? So I'm going to give you, in closing, seven dips for lasting change. Not seven tips. Seven dips. Y'all ready to do dip? We're going to dip today. Here we go. Dip number one. Everybody say dip number one. It di first dip's always the hardest. Come on, Naaman. Y'all celebrate Naaman. Good job, Naaman. Dip number one. The dip's always the hardest one. Dip number one, renew your mind. Romans 12, 2 says we are conformed no longer to the pattern of this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. If you're going to change your life, you've got to change your thoughts. If you want your life to change, your thoughts are going to have to change. Why? Because change in your life comes down to what's happening between your temples. As a man thinketh in his heart, the proverb said, so is he. In other words, if you think defeated, you're going to live defeated. If you think addicted, you're going to live addicted. If you think broken, you're going to live a broken. In in order for God to change your life, he has to change your mind. By the way, you know what the water was? The water was the washing of the word of God. Ephesians 5 and 25 and 26 says you wash your mind through the water of the word. But that's not the only thing. Jesus said in John 7, I'm the water of life. He who drinks from me will never thirst again. You know what the water is? It's the word of God and it's the presence of God. Every day I got to get myself in the word of God, wash my mind and get myself in the presence of God. Micro habits day after day after day after day. The dip for lasting change is a dip of the renewal of your mind. So that's what the rep water represents. Some of you, you need to get about a reading plan out there. You can get it on our website. You need to wash your mind. And just like leprosy started on the inside and came on the outside, when you start reading the Bible, nothing on the outside will change. It'll start on the inside and it'll take time before external manifestations come as a result of internal change. It takes time. It's a renewal of the mind. Everybody say dip number two. Come on, tell him. Say keep dipping. Come on, give him some encouragement. It's cold. Keep dipping. Come on, celebrate him. Dip number two. Dip number two, renewal of the mouth. So we got a renewal of the, number one, the mind. Number two, renewal of the mouth. You say, Craig, what? 
If you're going to change your life, you've got to change the words you speak. You're going to have to change your vocabulary. You're going to have to change your confession. When I was going through a difficult season of my life, my wife had constantly challenged me, you need to change your narrative. You need to change what you speak. You need to change what you're talking about. You need to change your confession. Why? Because Proverbs says the life and death are in the power of the tongue. In other words, if you're going to change, you've got to change what you're speaking. You've got to change your words. You've got to change your confession. Everybody say dip number three. Come on, keep dipping, Naaman. Keep dipping. Y'all celebrate, Naaman. He's doing good. Dip number three is a renewal of your vision. You're halfway to your miracle, Naaman. You're halfway there. You're halfway there. Renewal of your vision. Everybody say vision. We got to get a vision for our life. Without vision, people shall perish. We often lose our way when we lose our why. If we don't have a why, we have no way. What is your why in 2020? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you putting micro habits in place in your life? It can't just be to lose weight. It can't just be to, to, you know, to take a class. you got to get a vision that says, I'm going to be all that God's called me to be. I'm going to be all that God's called me to be, and I'm going to do all that God's called me to do. Why? Because God measures success clearly based on who I am and in light of who he's called me to be and what I'm doing in light of what he's called me to do. So it's the micro habits. Habakkuk says, write the vision down, make it plain. You know what scientists tell us? If you write the vision down, you're 100 times more likely to do the vision. For people who just say, oh, I got it up there, you're not going to do it. You got to write it down. What is your why? You're more likely to complete it if you'll write it down. What's your vision for 2020 for Naaman? It was to be healed. He wanted to go home a different man. He wanted to be a different husband. He wanted to be a different father. He did not want leprosy to hold him back. Everybody say dip number four. Come on, dip number four. Yeah, y'all celebrate Naaman. It's a renewal of the habits. Everybody say habits. The change in your life comes down to what you do daily. Leadership's not developed in a day. It's developed daily. It's what I do every day that matters. I'm going to daily put in micro habits. Listen, much of what you do normally is not a result of conscious action. It's a result of habits you've created. You do the same thing. You put on the same cup of coffee every morning. You check the same thing. You scroll, scroll, scroll. First thing in the bed instead of read, read, read. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Open, open, open. And what thumb, thumb, thumb. I don't know what it's going to be. For some of you, it's, it's Bible before Instagram. So you're going to put this right on top of your phone. And when that alarm clock comes off, you're not putting those thumbs on that screen until that Bible gets open. I don't know what your micro habit is, but you're going to have to make it obvious. You're going to have to make it obvious. Dun, 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 dun. That's what it is. That's what micro habit are. Whatever it is God's called you to do, it's a renewal of your habits. If you want a better this year than last year, it comes down to your habits. Everybody say dip number five. Now hold on, Andy. Dip number five. Are you getting a little frustrated? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Do you, in this situation, feel like anything's changed? Yeah, I'm colder. Yeah? Yeah. You think Naaman is pretty ticked at Elisha by this point? Anybody ever been in the middle of a miracle on dip number five and you thought dip number seven would be about 700 miles away? Y'all, y'all never done this? You never started habits and then in the middle of your habits you weren't seeing the change, the healing? So you just felt frustrated, right? You wanted to give up in the middle of it? Dip number five, come on, come on, dip, 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 dip. You know what dip number five is? It's a dip of your attitude. you got to change your attitude even when you don't see change. Your attitude determines your altitude. Your attitude determines a lot in life. You say, Craig, no, it doesn't. How do you know it doesn't? Well, look at the children of Israel. Why didn't they make it into the promised land that God promised them? Why? Because every time he gave them something, they had a bad attitude. He gave them manna. They wanted steak. He gave them quail. They wanted fish. And God said, I ain't having none of this. You're going to die out here in the wilderness. I'm going to take your kids in the promised land because you ain't going to advance into the potential I even promised you with a bad attitude attitude. You got to change your attitude. Ain't nobody can change it but you. 
Ain't nobody can wake up and have a different attitude but you. It's a renewal of your attitude. You have to have a change in your attitude. Everybody say dip number six. Here's dip number six. Come on, celebrate Naaman. He's doing good. It's a renewal of your surroundings. It's a renewal of your surroundings. Some of you today, you need to go home and clean house. Some of you today, you need to go home and you need to clean the closet. Some of you today, you need to get rid of the saved files on your computer that nobody else knows about. And you need to hit clear history. You need to clean out cash. And you need to start anew. For some of you, you've had a broken heart for too long. It's time to get rid of old pictures of him or her. It's time to get rid of old notes. For a rainy day, it's time to clean house. You go home today and you get some. For some of you, it's music. For some of you, it's movies. I had a season of my life. I didn't go tell everybody body, but I had a season over a year when I was in college. God said, get rid of all movies. Don't watch any movie. I didn't go around saying, oh, I don't watch movies anymore, but God said, get rid of movies. You go home and you clean house. You take care of your surroundings. You surround and take care of anything that's holding you back, that's weighing you down. You get rid of it. You get rid of it. For some of us, it's relationships that are toxic. For some of you right now, so many of your friends, they make you suspicious all the time. And the more you hang out with them, the more you get jaded towards the church. Cut them off. The more you get around them, the more you question spiritual leadership. Cut them off. For some of you, it's people who make you sarcastic all the time and you're unable to love anybody in intimacy because you're sarcastic with any and everybody you come in contact with. God says, get rid of that relationship. You're going to have to renew your surroundings. Now, dip number seven, everything changes. Y'all ready, Naaman? You ready? Dip number seven. Come on, we're going to celebrate. Dip number seven. Come on, Andy. Come on, Naaman. Stand up and worship. You got your healing. Leprosy's gone. You say, what's dip number seven? Dip number seven, it was the renewal of your heart. It does no good to renew your mind and renew your mouth and renew your words and renew your habits and renew your attitude and renew your surroundings if you don't get a renewed heart. A renewed heart. Come on, team. On this dip, everything changed. Everything changed. He came out of the water, a changed man. Leprosy was gone. Wasn't enough just to have a renewed mind. He needed a renewed mouth. He needed a renewed heart. You say, Craig, what do you mean? Remember when David had sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and God? And in Psalm 51, what did he say? Create in me what? A pure heart, God, a clean heart. You can come to the Lord today and say, God, I need you to renew my heart. What did God need? What did David need? He needed to relaunch. He needed to restart the whole system. He needed a refresh button. He needed to hit the side of his iPhone and the main button at the same time and start the whole system over. He needed a new operating system. He needed a new heart. He needed a new spirit. And today God is saying 2020 can be a year of lasting change. But it takes you dipping. Not dipping. (laughs) But dipping. Dipping. Renewing your habits. Renewing your heart. Renewing your mind. Can I challenge us today to treat January like a Genesis month? It's a new month. And the Spirit of God surfaced over the chaos and He created something beautiful. Anybody got chaos in your life? Let the Spirit of the Lord in January hover over your chaos and bring structure out of chaos. He can. He can. He can. What micro habits need to be started? What habits need to be broken? God would give strength. God wants you to be all that he has called you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.